0: We're so glad that you're here with us tonight. Um, If you have your Bibles, you can open them to 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8 tonight. Uh, Peter is writing this letter to Christians who are undergoing intense suffering and persecution. And he's encouraging uh, believers to bear up under unjust suffering while continuing to live well. He's urging them to live a life manner in the worthy uh, in, uh, that's that, that is in, in live a life manner worthy of the gospel in spite of whatever they're facing. And he's not just writing to the believers of that time, he's writing to you and to me as well, because like it or not, you and I at some time or another will face unfair or unjust suffering. And when it happens, not if, but when it happens, we often will struggle with the temptation to fall away from God, to question God, to be angry or frustrated, instead of responding in a manner worthy and peter is writing to believers of that time who were uh, under persecution because of of wicked nero and he was encouraging them to persevere in the faith chuck swindoll says when we face suffering it isn't enough for us to simply get up every morning and trudge through each day neither is it advisable to paste a smile on our face and ignore trouble instead the lesson that we'll read about in 1 Peter chapter 4 is to push through troubles, recognizing their temporary presence in our lives while walking in holiness and hope as people of faith. How do you respond to suffering? How do you respond to trials and tribulation, to troubles that come into your life? That's what we're going to to talk about tonight, first Peter chapter four, verses one through eight. Would you just pray with me first? Father, you know what my day has looked like. And um, Father, I, I look at my notes and they seem uh, disheveled and quite messed up. And Lord, I refuse the, the right to panic and I'm just trusting that when I open my mouth, words are gonna be given to me and I'll declare them as fearlessly as I ought. I thank you, Father, that you're going to help me to preach with clarity, with boldness, with confidence, and with great authority. I praise you that your word never returns void, that it always goes forth and prospers for the very thing that you sent it to do, and I declare and decree Over every person here tonight, that the Word of God is going to prosper in their hearts and their minds. It's going to produce a harvest, not 30, not 60. I'm declaring a hundredfold harvest over their lives in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, we invite you to infiltrate this atmosphere with your presence, to rain down. And to bring illumination, to bring insight and wisdom, rhema revelation of your word. Father, we're eager to hear from you. And I pray you'd shine your light on your word and be exalted in this place tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I'm, I'm titling this message, Armed and Dangerous. Do you want to live the Christian life armed and dangerous? You're about to to discover the secret of doing that. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 through 8. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we locked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and the abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things, hear this, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful, in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. We're going to go on through 11. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, praise the Lord, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever amen verse 1 therefore since christ suffered for us in the flesh arm yourselves also with the same mind uh, uh, this verse points back to chapter 3 verse 18 when it says that christ suffered once for the sins uh, for the sins that for the, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to god and being put to death in the flesh but being made alive in the spirit. Peter is reiterating that just as Christ suffered in the flesh for us and died, we should follow his examples. I, I want you to think about how Christ suffered in the flesh. It was not an easy death. It was not something he was like, oh, yeah, I get to go to the cross. He did it out of obedience to the Father. He didn't give in to his own desires. He said to his Father, if there's any other way, But not my will, but yours be done. He he didn't give in to his own desires. He didn't choose comfort. He chose to do the Father's will. He armed himself, so to speak, with a mind that was committed to doing the Father's will, no matter what the cost. Have you armed yourself with that same mind? He armed himself with the mind that would deny self and suffer for the sake of another. Uh, we need to follow his example. Peter is saying that arm yourself with the same mind that was in Christ. We need to determine that we will do the Father's will no matter what the cost, that we will deny self, will deny our own comfort, we'll suffer for the sake of another, and we will conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter says arm yourself with this same thinking, with this same mind. Now, armor is used to protect. My sons wear a bulletproof vest. It's used it's as armor to protect them. When my son, the, the, the SWAT officer, goes into a SWAT assignment, he is full of armor. It's used to protect. And uh, apparently what Peter is saying here, and get this, if you miss everything else I say tonight, don't miss this. Peter is saying that there's a way of thinking that protects us. It acts like armor for us. He's saying that correct thinking protects us and helps us to gain victory in the Christian uh, walk. And, And that's so important. He's saying, you have to choose to arm yourself with the same thinking that Christ had when he walked this earth, when he faced the cross. Christ said, it's not my will I'm doing. I'm coming to do the will of the Father no matter what it costs me. These people aren't even sorry, but I'm gonna choose to suffer so that they can benefit. I wonder how many of us choose to suffer so that someone in your life can benefit. That you deny self, for their good. Peter is saying, arm yourself with that same kind of thinking. You say, Rhea, you don't know what I'm dealing with, uh, the difficult spouse I have, the unhappy life that I live, the work situation I face every day. I want you to, to look back just a couple verses because in 1 Peter 3, we read that Jesus died and suffered in the midst of unjust suffering. He didn't do anything to deserve it. It was unjust. He, he says in, in verse uh, chapter 17, verse 3, he said, it's better to suffer for doing good than doing evil. Jesus was willing to do good, even if it meant suffering. He died for it. The just died for the unjust. Peter is saying, because of that, therefore, notice the therefore in verse uh, verse one, he, he says, because of that, you arm yourself in the same way. It's telling me that, that dying to the flesh, that denying self, that, 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 that choosing to suffer for another is actually a weapon to cease from sin, to do what the Father tells me to do is a weapon in my Christian arsenal, my spiritual arsenal. Do, do you see that? He says, arm yourself. This is armor for you. It's interesting that this word arm is is an aorist imperative. Uh, The aorist imperative, you know an imperative is a command. So this isn't a suggestion. He's not suggesting, you know what, it might be a good idea if you start denying yourself for the sake of another. It it might be a good idea if you start obeying God no matter what the cost it is to you. No, he's saying this is a command. I'm commanding this, and it's aorist, which means it, it calls for a decisive, choice. You make the choice. And it applies an urgent and immediate call to do so. Do it and do it now because it's for your best interest. So it's a command to arm ourselves with that same mind. Some other translations give us a little clearer picture. The ESV says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. The HCSB says, equip yourself also with the same resolve. And the, the NIV says, arm yourself with the same attitude. So we're arming ourselves with the thinking the way Christ thought. We're arming ourselves by, by having a resolve to do the Father's will no matter what. It's a, it's an, uh, it's a weapon in our thinking. Do you see that? We have to choose the way we're thinking. You, you say, well, we, I can't control what I think. Oh, yes, you can. What separates us from the rest of the creation is, the, is the, our ability to think. The Bible tells us, as a man thinks, so is he, that our thinking shapes our behavior. And, and sadly, what I'm finding out about myself and about others is that our thinking is not always based on facts. Can I just tell you that? That's why Philippians tells us, whatsoever things are true, think on those things. Whatsoever things are pure, lovely, admirable, think on these things. Be purposeful about what you're thinking on because your thinking is not always based on facts. Here's what it's based on, our interpretation of the facts. Our interpretation of the fact. And our interpretation of the facts, is based on our filter, what we're filtering through. I I came across this quote this week, and I really like it. It it is, Paul Tripp says, every one of us in this room is an archaeologist. An archaeologist digging through the mound of his existence, trying to make sense out of life. Every one of us in this room is an archaeologist. Digging through the mound of his existence, trying to make sense out of life. Here's what I see. Our thinking is not based on facts. Our thinking is based on our interpretation of facts, and our interpretation of facts is based on uh, the things that have happened in our life, the things that we've, we've lived through, that we've endured, that, that, that we've been through in life, and we filter everything through that, and then we determine the facts we want to believe. We can't afford that. That's why Scripture says that we are transformed, not by coming to Christ. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds, By the renewing of our thinking. So the call here from Peter is to make sure that we are thinking uh, about life in a way that Christ taught. According to the word of God and not according to our feelings. If what you're thinking about does not line up with the word of God, get a new thought. Get a new thought. Take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Peter is saying that our thinking is a weapon. And that we can't afford to just let our mind go anywhere. We have got to make sure that we arm ourselves with the same thinking that Christ thought. Christ's whole life, his whole mission was to do the Father's will, no matter what it cost him. Are you committed to doing the Father's will, no matter how much it costs you? No matter how uncomfortable you get? Are you willing to love somebody who's unlovable just because God tells you to do it? Are you willing to forgive somebody who really isn't even sorry just because God tells you to do it? Are you willing to um, love unconditionally somebody who's not loving you very well just because God tells you to do it? Are you willing to not keep a record of wrongs and to forgive that record of wrongs, to erase it just because God tells you to do it? Are you willing to to die to self and to live for Christ just because he says that my ways will lead to life? Are you arming yourself with the same thinking that, that was in Christ? It's a weapon. Phillips notes that Peter does not use the Greek word for light armor here but it means heavy armor. We all need the protection, we we need all the protection we can get to prepare ourselves for the battles ahead. God does not promise to carry us to the skies of, of flowery beds of ease. God does not hand out colorful brochures offering good health, prosperity, wide popularity, and long life to those who accept Christ. Those who array themselves in such flimsy robes are in for a shock. Peter had long since learned to arm himself for battle. When he had been arrested years before in Jerusalem and sentenced to death, he simply went to sleep in his prison. He was not only a conqueror, but more than a conqueror. As Paul would have put it, he learned how to arm his mind, and we must too. So it's not only the aorist imperative, do this and do this now, and it's a command to arm your, your yourself with the same mind that was in Christ, but it's in the middle voice. This is really important because you know what that says? That we have a personal responsibility for doing this. We can't expect God to zap us. God, can you just help me with this? Can you give me the mind of Christ here? You already have the mind of Christ. You need to arm yourself with the same thinking that Christ had, when he walked this earth, and that was to do the Father's will no matter what. You say, well, what is the Father's will? It's written right here in this book before you. And we have a responsibility to arm ourselves with it, to fill our mind with the Word of God, to memorize it, to meditate on it, to obey it. And this, this book is, is the way to life. And Peter is saying it's a weapon the idea is you arm yourself and that you can only be victorious in conflict holding on to this mindset. Armor implies a battle. It implies a war. If, I, if it wasn't going to be a battle, we would never be told to take up the armor. The idea that that we have a call to arms implies conflict. There is going to be a conflict between the way you and I want to live and the way God calls us to live. The mindset that, that is in accordance to the word of God and the mindset of the world, they are two completely different things. But one thing I can promise you, it's the scripture that I love the very most that says that God's pleasant path will always lead you to pleasant places. His way works. His word works works. He doesn't tell us to do it because he's this dictator God. He tells us to do it because his ways are good, and they will always lead to life. And so Peter says, arm yourself with that same thinking, a determination, a resolve to do the Father's will, no matter what the cost is to you. I want you to notice that Jesus suffered. (laughs) He suffered to do what was right. The word suffer is interesting. It means to suffer sadly, to undergo evils, to undergo a difficult experience, and normally with the implication of physical or psychological suffering. The Reformed uh, commentary says, when Jesus submitted to death on the cross, he defied the instinct of self-preservation. And we can and must make the same break in our own life isn't it all about self-preservation even when I'm dealing with somebody in my life, if I suspect they're going to hurt me or or that I am going to get wounded in, in that transaction, it will be all be about self-preservation. I don't want to be hurt. If I, if I suspect you're nasty, I'm going to stay far away from you because it's all about self-preservation. If I suspect that it, to be in relationship with you is going to cost me, it is all about self-preservation for me. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to be done dirty. I, I I don't want to have to love somebody that won't love me back. I don't want to be judged by you. I don't want you to be critical towards me. It's all about self-preservation and arming ourselves with the same mind that was in Christ with his same kind of thinking requires that we we give up, that we defy the the instinct of self-preservation. I want you to realize that the battle we're fighting is not one coming from the outside, although there is a battle there. The battle originates in us. It's an evil that finds its field of operation in our flesh. And we have to safeguard against it by putting on the mind of Christ, by dying to self, by submitting to the Holy Spirit, by by yielding to the Spirit within us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite authors, says when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. We die to self and fleshly desires. We die to the enticements of the world. We die to all that we once loved more than God. And we die by submitting to the Holy Spirit Within us. Over and over and over, we see that Jesus did what he did because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He came out of the temptation with the devil, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. He went about doing good because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and there was something to be said about the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. Many of you have seen my chocolate milk illustration. It's, it's one of my favorite illustrations about the Holy Spirit. Because people always say, I believe in a baptism of the Holy Spirit but i'm just going to be honest with you i just do i i, I can't deny it in my own life there 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 was a te- the, the word of god says that 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 he baptizes you with water but one is coming after me who baptizes with the with the with with uh uh, fire and with the, with the Holy Spirit. And do you, do you see the difference? that There's a baptism that takes place. When, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came to dwell within me. But there was something different that happened. The day that I, that I made the decision to, to allow the Holy Spirit to empower me, to saturate my life, to take over my life and begin to rule and reign, there, there was something completely different. And I use that that chocolate milk illustration where I talk about my life before Jesus it was just a glass of white milk. And then I take a, 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 a bottle of Hershey syrup, and I, I squirt it into that glass of milk, and you know what happens. It all goes down to the bottom of the glass, and a little bit of the chocolate gets stirred in, but, but basically it sits at the bottom of that glass. And I talk about when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. He, he takes up residency within us. <laughs> but there's something different about him just letting it to coming in and taking up residency within us and then we take I take a spoon and I start to stir that chocolate and I stir it and it begins to infiltrate that whole glass of white milk it begins to just permeate every bit of, of that bland white milk and, and it becomes this tasty chocolate milk and, and I talk about that's what happens when, when we are filled when we position ourselves before the Lord and say fill me afresh and anew saturate my life fan into flame the gifts that were given to me When Paul says Peter oh, Tim, Timothy fan into flame the gifts that were given to you with the laying on of my hands you choose to fan it into flame that chocolate milk is in you stir it up stir it up If I had a glass of chocolate milk here and it was all stirred up and I just let it sit, what would happen? It would settle all back down to the bottom of the glass. That's why we have to be ye filled, continuous, ongoing filling with the sweet Holy Spirit. See, Jesus was effective because he was filled. He was saturated. He was submitted to the Holy Spirit Arm yourself with the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. He walked submitting to the Holy Spirit. Everything I do, I'm like, Lord, what do you want to do here? I'm talking to the Lord throughout my day. I'm listening for his voice throughout my day, guiding me, directing me. I'm consulting him, living within me. Be ye filled, continuous, ongoing, filling. Jesus could do what he could do. He could walk in obedience to the word of God. He He could... Submit to the will of the Father even when He didn't want to because He made a decision to submit to the Holy Spirit. You and I need to arm ourselves with that same mind. He says, Therefore, since Christ, the word Christ there means one who has been anointed with oil, who's been consecrated and set apart. Do you know that the same power that raised Christ from the dead? is living within you. The Holy Spirit's power lives within you. We must tap into it. I saw a friend of mine at church Sunday. She came over, and something had happened in her life, and she said, Rhea, I have to know how you get to a place of prayer where you can have peace in the midst of, a, of turmoil. She said, I, I have to know how you how you get there, and I said, I get there by by leaning on and relying on the spirit within me, by submitting to the spirit within me and not my flesh. This is arming ourselves. See, some of you, your flesh rears its ugly head, and you say, okay, I'll give in to it. Anxiety comes, you give in to it. Anger comes, you give in to it. Jealousy arises, you give in to it. My father was a mortician, and I didn't live with him growing up, but he tells stories about how he had his um, uh, embalming room in the basement of their house. Would not have wanted to live there. But, 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 and he tells stories how he would be embalming a dead body, and all of a sudden the arm would fly up. Now I would just run out. I just can't even imagine the fear that would come over him, but, but you see, he knew uh, what, what I wouldn't know, and, and he knew that was a dead body, and he, and, and he understood that there's some kind of muscle contraction that happens after death, and that can just happen. See, he understood it was a de- it was dead flesh, and he would just smack that arm back down on, onto the table. It didn't frighten him. it didn't, it didn't make him run out of the room. He, he understood it was dead flesh. And you see, when you and I, we have been crucified with Christ. And we no longer live, but Christ lives within us. And the life we now live, we live live according to the spirit within us, not according to the flesh. And when that flesh rises up within you, when hatred rises up and you want to hate somebody, when bitterness rises up and you want to be bitter, when anger rises up and you want to tell somebody a thing or two, when you want to be jealous, when you want to be nasty, when you want to be unkind, you need to say, dead flesh, get back down. I am submitting to the Holy Spirit within me, and the fruit of the Spirit is kindness, is gentleness, is self-control, is goodness. Do you see? It's dead flesh. You do not have to give into it. That's arming ourselves with the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Oh my, so many things. So let's look at this. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time for the lusts of men. I want you to see this, that that he should no longer live the rest of his time for the, the lusts of men. That means he's, he was living that way. He was living for the lusts of men. He was living his life in the body. David Gusick says that Peter gives us two time references here. He, he said, first, you should no longer live in sin. We should answer every temptation, every sinful impulse with the reply, no longer. No longer, I'm no longer living for that sin. I'm no longer living to indulge that way. It's no longer in my life. And secondly, we should carefully consider how to live the rest of our time. You see, you have the rest of your time here on earth. How are you going to live the rest of your time? If you were to find out that tonight (laughs) you were going to face Jesus, and you knew that this morning, how would you live the rest of your time? I promise you, you would not be indulging in sin. Can I tell you, you don't know how much longer you have for the rest of your time. You, you have no idea how much longer. I, I just found out today that a friend of mine was diagnosed with aggressive cancer aggressive cancer. He's young. You have no idea how much the rest of your time is going to be here on earth. And so, no longer live for the lusts of the flesh, but live to do the Father's will. He said, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, reveries, drinking parties, and the abominable idolatries. We've spent enough, we've done enough wasting our life on those things. We need to understand that time is limited and we need to make every moment count and we need to arm ourselves with the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, the mind that says I will do the Father's will, I will please him with my life no matter what the cost to me. You see, we like that until it's costly. We like that until I have to deny my flesh. We like that until I don't get my way. We like that until I have to be the one sacrificing. But you see, this walk that we are called to live, the Christian walk, is not about us. Everything is about us. We make everything about us. It is not about us. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our bless me club. It's not, about, it's not about how much I'm loved. It is about sacrificing our life so Christ can be manifested in us so that people see Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's about making the use of every opportunity to make him known. To make him known. We've spent enough time wasting our life on those things. He says, they think it's strange that, they, you, that you don't run in the same, the same with them in, the, in this flood of dis, dispensation. And, and, and it's so interesting because it's talking about being persecuted, that when you don't participate and act like the world, I can't tell you how many people are like, she is whacked. She is strange. Because, <laughs> you see, they don't understand that, that I don't want to live the same life that they're living. I, I read this quote. It says, when we don't participate in the sin around us, we convict those who practice their sin, and they don't like that. So they speak evil of us. But look at verses 5 and 6. They will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. They will give an account. This is sobering. This is one of those things that if you miss everything else I say, don't miss this one. Precept Austin says the Greek word for count here is logos, which is, it usually means word. But in this contents, it means a formal and frightening reckoning for their sinful actions and mistreatment of God's children. This use of logos was frequently used in the commercial world to speak of business accounts, which pictures an accounting ledger. God has an accounting ledger And he will repay with interest, so to speak, those who hurt you. So if you're here tonight and you've been unjustly treated or maligned because of your faith in Jesus Christ, (laughs) I have news for you. That's right. God's got an an accounting ledger. And he's keeping track. And our natural response is to want to pay them back or at least withhold forgiveness But when we're tempted to engage in either of those sinful responses, we need to remember that those who have hurt us may look like they're getting away with it in this life, but the day is coming when they must pay the piper, so to speak. God will judge the living and the dead. So they think it's strange that you won't participate in, in their wild living and, and and in their fleshly living but and so they 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 may they they persecute you and speak evil of you but God says I'm going to judge the living and the dead the day is going to come when I have my accounting ledger and I'm keeping track of every persecution see some of you are living with a difficult spouse who makes fun of you for the way you believe oh my goodness pray for them don't be angry about it don't change who you are Understand Understand that the day is coming when they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Look up the word. It's powerful. And you have nothing to fear. Don't don't withhold forgiveness. Forgive the daylights out of them. Because this is a promise from God. Look at the next passage. The next verse. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers, the end of all things is at hand. If we really believe this, and I, and I really believe this, somebody came up to me Sunday in church and said, Rhea, you know, can you tell me your justification for thinking that the end of times is coming? I said, I absolutely can, here it is. And he said, well, I, I really believe, he said, I feel like the Lord has told me it's coming within the next nine years, which is in that same, same time frame that I feel like the Lord told me. I walked out of the sanctuary, went in to to talk with some people, and somebody else cornered me, and he said, Ria, have you heard? He said, I really feel like the prophets are saying it's going to happen before 2031. The end of all things is at hand. Whether it's 9, 2031, or 2090, it's at hand. And so he says, be careful how you're living. He he says, be serious and watchful in your prayers. If we really believe that we are living in the last days, it would be all the more vital to give ourselves in prayer, to be ser- serious and watchful in prayer. The amplified is so good here. Let me read it to you. The end and accumulation of all things is near. Therefore, be sound minded and self-controlled for the purpose of prayer, staying balanced and focused on the things of God so that your communication will be clear, reasonable, specific, and pleasing to him. Above all, Have fervent and unfailing love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. It overlooks unkindness. Hear me, love overcomes a multitude uh, 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 of sins. It overlooks unkindness and unselfishly seeks the best for others. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. He he says, be alert, be sound-minded and self-restrained for the practice of prayer. Leslie and I pray together almost every morning. And one of the things we've been praying, because I, I really feel like the end of all things is at hand, I've been saying to the Lord, you do nothing. I said, Lord, your word says you do nothing without telling your servants, the prophets, what you're doing. And I am asking you, Lord, to give me insight, to give me wisdom, because you promise you don't do anything without telling your servants, the prophets, what you're doing. I I, I need you to tell me. I need you to prepare me for what's coming so that we can prepare the church so we can prepare the study so that we can prepare your people for what's coming. Lord, I need some in this insight. I need some wisdom about what is coming. You see, I'm being watchful in prayer. I'm being mindful in prayer. I I am being purposeful to communicate to God, to keep that communication line open because I want to know not just the things of God. I want to know the secret things of God. And I'm seeking him with all my heart. Peter says, be watchful in prayer. Be alert. Be self-constrained. Staying balanced and focused on the things of God. So that your communication with him will be clear, reasonable, and pleasing to him. Be watchful in prayer. I think that also means watching our hearts and mind. Preparing them in prayer for the return of Christ. Examining our hearts and determining our readiness for God's return, one of the things we pray constantly is examine me. Here's what I, I've really believed with all of my heart, and I'm going to get off, off text to say this, but the, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, that who can know it? That means my heart, my mind, my will, emotion is deceitfully wicked. I, I can't trust it. The Bible says that we are deceived by the pride of our heart. My, my heart, my mind, my will, my emotions don't want to see my issues. I, I want to really see it in everybody else, quite frankly, but I don't want to see it in myself. And so when we pray, I position myself. Leslie positions herself and we say, examine us, Lord, and see if there's any wicked way in us because here's what I know about myself. I don't want to see it. I I don't want to see that I have issues. I don't want to see that I have have junk in my life that God wants to deal with. But here's what I want. I want more than anything to be ready and prepared for his coming. I want to be ready for his return. I want to conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And that that takes being watchful in prayer. Saying, Lord, examine my heart. Put your finger. Leslie, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Has he not put his finger right smack on the ugly in our life and said, you need to deal with it. And every time we deal with it, we think we got that one over with. And then he says, and yet, here's another one. Here's another one. Clean that thing up. But we're being watchful in prayer. Peter says, be watchful in prayer because the end of all things is at hand. It's at hand. Be watchful in prayer. I love the scripture in Romans 13, 11, And it says, and do this, knowing the time. So in other words, because you know the time. Do this, it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Let me read it to you again. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed believed the reality is that the imminent return of christ is nearer now than ever before and that should rouse every one of us from our spiritual dozing can i tell you that stewart my father-in-law right before he died he could doze off in the middle of anything like you could be having a conversation with him and he would doze off and it just would make made me chuckle every single time and, and he could you know be watching the news and and sound asleep in his chair he could doze off in, in the middle of anything some of you are dozing off spiritually. You're, you got lethar- lethargic. I, I really looked at the scripture tonight. I was going to teach on um, the, 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 the lamps to, to make sure that our lamps are full of oil and that our wicks are trimmed. Because when he comes back, he needs to find them full of. There won't be time to fill it up with oil. There won't be time to run and get oils and give me some oil for my lamp. Give me some I need some holy spirit. I need I need some spiritual strength. No, it won't be time. You won't have time for that because he's going to come at the trend the trumpet shall sound and he will appear like a thief in the night scripture says. And we need to be ready with lamps full of oil and wicks trimmed because you do not know the time or the hour. And we have to be watchful. And we have to be ready. And we cannot afford to be dozing off spiritually. And church, I must say this as lovingly as I can. And I'm talking to the church as a whole, not to a church. I'm talking about the the corporate church. We are dozing off spiritually. And it is time. Scripture says, And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than ever before. I believe this with every ounce of my being. With every ounce of my being. And we've got to issue the wake-up call to the church to stop dozing off spiritually to stop caring about the fact that you're fulfilling the lust of the flesh for stop caring that, that, that you're indulging in, in, in fleshly desires and garbage you should have nothing to do with things that lead to death instead of to life wake up my grandson called tonight and I had just said to Dave I wish I would have had a video of him when he was about what six months ago a year ago My son would pretend he was sleeping and he would be snoring, and Alton would jump on top of him and say, Wake up! (laughs) And I said to Dave, I wish I had the video of him saying, Wake up! Because I would play it. Because that's what I want to do from the pulpit. I want to say, Wake up! You've dozed off. You think it doesn't matter how you live. You say, I'm saved by grace, Rhea. Yes, you are saved by grace. But if you knew Christ was coming back tonight, would you have changed the way you live today? The things you did today? Wake up. Wake up. He says, above all things, have fervent love. Oh, fervent love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sin. Above all, this is more important than anything else, above all, have. That's present tense. It means make this your habitual practice. To have fervent love for one another. That word fervent in the Greek, it means to stretch out. It's a it's a picture of a a runner in the Greek games having the biggest stride he could possibly stretch his muscles to have so he would finish well. It's a picture of stretching your love muscles to say, you know what, I don't really want to love them, but I'm gonna stretch, I'm gonna stretch myself with love. I'm gonna stretch my love beyond what's comfortable for me, and I'm gonna love well. I'm going to stretch my my love muscle limits. He says, have fervent love for one another above all. He said, because love covers. That word covers, it means to cause something to be covered over literally and hence not visible. Love covers covers a multitude of wrongdoing. That means I'm going to cover this man. I love him, and I'm going to cover him, but then I'm going to cover his, his issues. I'm going to cover his weaknesses. I'm not going to go blab it to Leslie and say, let me tell you what Dave did, and Dave is awful, and, and can you just pray for my husband because he's so terrible. Love covers a multitude of wrongdoing. That means when Susie down the street nails me and she does me dirty, I'm not going to say, Masha, can I tell you what she did to me? Oh, and, and Nance, can I just tell you, have you heard what she did to me? And stay away from her because she did this to me. No, love, fervent love, covers, conceals, hides a multitude of wrongdoing. Why? Why? Because you've learned to arm yourself with the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. I'm dying to self. They don't even have the opportunity to hurt me because I'm dead. You can't hurt a dead person. Go call a dead person in a cemetery every name uh, uh, that you can think of, every bad thing you can think of. Scream at them at the top of your lungs. They are not going to do anything to you because they're dead. We are called to be the same way. You can't hurt a dead person. We're denying self for the sake of another. We're loving fervently because he first loved us. We're modeling his example. We're taking on the same mind as Christ. You say, well, Ria, what about me? Ha, you're dead. (laughs) It's not about you. But we make it about us. We're so selfish and so self-centered. Christ came with one purpose in mind to do the will of the Father. That was his only purpose. I only do what the Father tells me to do. Above all, have fervent love for one another because love covers a multitude of wrongdoing. Wayne Grudem (laughs) says this, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, Many small offenses, and even some large ones, are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion, and every action is liable to misunderstanding, and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. It's such a good quote, I'll read it again. Where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses, and even some large ones, are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion, every action is liable to misunderstanding, and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. Love one another. Above all, have fervent love for one another. And love covers a multitude of wrongdoing, a multitude of sin. You see, when you don't love well, you're keeping a record of those wrongs. When you don't love well, you're easily offended. When you don't love well, every action is liable to misunderstanding. When you don't love well, conflict is going to abound. When you make it all about you, (laughs) that is how you're going to live. But when you arm yourself with the same mind that's in Christ Jesus, you'll deny self and suffer for the sake of another. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Love shows itself in in hospitality. Christians should often open their homes to others. And and notice it says, do it without grumbling. I don't know anybody that's better at this than the Hooks. They open their house to ministry all the time, and they do it without grumbling. Um, And and so Hilbert says, without grumbling is a frank recognition that the practice of hospitality could become costly, burdensome, and irritating. (laughs) So do it without. Grumbling. he says do all this because the end of all things is at hand every action in life every decision we make has consequence and the way we deal with temptation is where the rubber meets the road when the enemy comes and tempts us is where we usually find out who we really are and it's in those moments we we, we need to ask ourselves are we really following Jesus are we really following him or is it a social club on Sunday morning? Or is it just something that we do because it's the religious thing to do? Temptation looks like deny, don't deny self. Temptation looks like make it about you. Temptation looks at it, keep a record of wrongs. Temptation is don't suffer for doing, doing good. Expect others to do good for you. That's all of that is temptation. When temptation comes, it really reveals who we are. So let me challenge you with this message. You know I've been saying to you uh, for for weeks, if you come here and I just teach a message and we don't flesh this out and challenge you with it, then I've really done a disservice uh, for you. Um, He says in verse 3, for the time already has passed more than that for doing what the unsaved Gentiles do, living unrestrained as you have done. It's time that we choose Christ. More than enough time has already been spent living like the Gentiles do, living like the unsaved does. It's time, church, that we begin to rise up. The Bible says that all of creation waits for the sons of God to be made manifest. I love it, it's one of my favorite scriptures. That all of creation waits for the sons of God to be made manifest. All of creation is waiting for us to begin to manifest who we really are. Instead we're manifesting flesh, we're manifesting ugly, we're manifesting jealousy, we're manifesting bitterness, we're manifesting anger, we're we're manifesting being critical and judgmental, we're manifesting the devil. And all of creation waits for the sons of God to be made manifest. So let me challenge you this week to arm yourself. I know people who go through the the full armor, put on the full armor of God and they put on that full armor every day when they get up. Here's some armor for you. Arm yourself with the same mind that was in Christ Jesus who didn't even consider himself (laughs) he was so about doing the father's will the father's will is found in his word that's our instruction booklet it's the blueprint for how he wants us to live and it doesn't look like the world i'm just telling you pretty much how you see the world live do the opposite and you'll have god's will and that'll set you up to be persecuted to be misunderstood But the end of all things is at hand. I believe it with every ounce of my being. And how we live matters. It matters. You say, well, I'm saved by grace, Rhea. Yes, you are saved by grace. But I don't know about you. I want crowns to throw at his feet. I'm not interested in just slipping through heaven like by the skin of my teeth. I want to hear his well done. I want crowns. I want, I want reward to throw at his feet. It's the only thing I can do. I, I can do nothing for him. He's done everything for me. And the only thing that I can give back to him is in the end, those crowns that we throw at his feet. Do you understand how much pain we save ourselves by doing things God's way? His pleasant path leads to pleasant places. His word works. When he says deny self, there's a reason. When he says, you know, obey him, there's a reason. When he says arm yourself with the same thinking, there is a reason. So, Father, I thank you for every man and woman here tonight. I thank you, Lord that you've given us your word, that your word is truth, that it works, that you've given us your Holy Spirit to equip and empower us, to convict us. Lord, I want to pray right now, just this is coming through my head, and so I want to pray right now for hearts. I've been meditating on the scripture that talks about hardness of heart, a calloused heart. And there's some people here tonight whose hearts have been so calloused because of pain, because of trials, because of persecution. They've been hurt so much, and Lord, their hearts are just calloused over. They don't even feel the prick of your spirit anymore. They sit under a message like this and aren't even convicted because their hearts are calloused to it. Lord, I pray for a softening of those hearts tonight in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that you tenderize their hearts to give them a heart of flesh again, Lord. A heart that will feel the prick of your spirit. A heart that's tender to the things of God. Father, I ask that you give us um, just such discernment and wisdom in the season that we're in, Lord God. Your word says that the end of all things is at hand. That was Peter how many thousands of years ago that wrote that. How much closer we are now. Help us to be mindful of that, Lord, I pray. Equip us. Help us to be intentional about arming ourselves with the very mind of Christ, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.